Hello, this is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing the first head-to-head trial of biologic therapies in the treatment of active Crohn's disease. With me is Dr. Bharati Kochar, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, to discuss this C-View trial, which was recently published in The Lancet and was a direct comparison of ustekinumab versus adalimumab in the treatment of severely active Crohn's disease. So welcome, Dr. Kochar, and let's just start by discussing why this is an important topic. Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Schoenfeld. This is a very exciting trial and one that I think is pertinent to all people who care for patients with IBD. And the reason, as you mentioned, is this was the first head-to-head trial of biologic agents for Crohn's disease. And these are both medications that we use very commonly. I will remind our listeners that biologic agents are actually the first-line treatment for Crohn's disease, given our more recent guidelines. We know very much that the older step-up treatment strategy is kind of starting with steroids and then going to immunomodulators and waiting until the disease is really refractory before starting a biologic is just not really appropriate for longitudinal disease control um, and management. And so now with the new diagnosis of Crohn's disease, we're really talking about a biologic. And this trial helps us understand how two biologic, two different classes of biologics really look against each other. And that's what every patient wants to know, right? Um, We have three different classes of biologic agents approved for the treatment of Crohn's disease, the anti-TNF class, infliximab, uh, adalimumab, and sertilizumab. Then we have the anti-integrin class, vetalizumab, and then the anti-interleukin class, ustekinumab, and most recently, risenkizumab. And so if I were a patient, the one thing I'd want to know is, well, which one is better? And that's what this trial is asking. Whereas all of our approval trials, really the registration trials for these drugs say, you know, the drug is better than not getting the drug, right? Placebo. And so that's not really what a patient is facing the decision for in this day and age. And that's why this trial is very pivotal. And so in the CVU study, ustekinumab, which is a anti-interleukin-1223 monoclonal antibody, was compared to adalimumab, which is an anti-TNF agent. And this was used in biologically naive patients. So about 386 patients were randomized, and this was monotherapy. Immunomodulators were not used in association with these meds. And also, in order to make sure it was properly blinded, dose escalation was not used. So those are some important caveats. It was a 52-week trial, and the Crohn's disease patients had moderately severe active disease where their mean CDAI score, Crohn's disease activity index scores was about 300. And the patients in the study had to achieve complete remission which is defined as a CDAI score of less than 150. The CDAI score includes frequency of liquid stools over seven days, frequency of abdominal pain over seven days, the patient's sense of general well-being, their hematocrit, 
their weight, whether or not there's presence of an abdominal mass or extra intestinal symptoms. Those are some of the different components that goes into it. Now, in the result, the bottom line is that both drugs were very effective with about a 61 to 65% complete remission rate at 52 weeks. And again, that was the primary endpoint. And there were no statistically significant differences in that complete remission primary endpoint, nor in any of the major secondary endpoints. There were some small numeric differences that didn't quite hit statistical significance. It looked like there was better persistence of use in the bustakinumab group versus the adalimumab group. Patients were a little bit more likely to stop adalimumab to stop it sooner compared to ustekinumab. But again, that was a numeric difference. Small numeric differences in the risk of infections being a little bit higher with adalimumab. So those are really the bottom lines about this. And again, be a little bit cautious in interpreting it because this was monotherapy. You didn't add on immunomodulators in this trial, no dose escalation. And these were biologically naive patients, which may partly account for why we had such high rates of complete remission. So, you know, it's back to you now, Dr. Kochart. The thing is, we've got vetaluzumab, we've got the anti-TNF agents, and we've got the anti-interleukin IL-12-23 antibodies. How do you decide which one to use in patients when you're starting this top-down approach? Well, thank you for the excellent summary, Dr. Schoenfeld. So that's also a very good question. I will remind all our listeners who um, are likely to be in the United States that we have a very insurer-dictated uh, mode of care for patients with IBD, unfortunately. So as I sort of globally tell my patients, it almost doesn't matter what I want or what they want. It really matters what their insurance company will cover because these are very, very expensive medications and even a 20% out-of-pocket copay is enough to bankrupt the average and even above average American over time. So it very much does depend on what their insurance company will cover. That being said, we have very convincing letters of medical necessity and appeals as needed, and we really try to advocate for our patients with the insurance company for what we feel would be best for them. So we look for certain disease features. So we know that Vetalizumab is a much more gut-selective mechanism. So when we talk to our patients with Crohn's disease, you know, we want to know, do they have a heavy burden of extra-intestinal manifestations? Is this someone with a tremendous burden of um, arthritis? Or do they have a lot of psoriasis or other inflammatory skin conditions? Is there ocular inflammation that really has the best evidence for an anti-TNF class? What kind of disease behavior do they have? So do they have the stricturing, penetrating kind of Crohn's disease? Do they have perianal fistulae, or is it a purely inflammatory condition? So teasing out, you know, some of the burden of inflammation becomes very important when we make these therapy choices. And for the patient with the purely colonic predominant inflammatory type of Crohn's disease, I think vetalizumab is an excellent first-line choice of biologic. The Varsity trial actually shows us that vetalizumab, when used in patients with ulcerative colitis or colonic inflammation, is actually superior to adalimumab as a first-line biologic agent. And so for the patient with purely colonic inflammation, even if they have Crohn's, I do tend to select vetalizumab or 
recommend vetalizumab as a first-line agent if they do not have any other extraintestinal manifestations. If it's a patient who has a tremendous burden of skin inflammation, like psoriasis, and not the typical pyoderma rash that we associate with IBD, but other kind of inflammatory skin conditions, atopic dermatitis or psoriasis, the anti-interleukin therapies are very, very good for patients like that. So that's a, a reason to try to hit both forms of inflammation with an anti-interleukin agent like ustekinumab or rizinkizumab. The anti-TNF therapies are still our tried and true biologic agents, but as this trial shows, you know, maybe numerically, again, remembering that the trial was not powered to detect a difference in infections or persistence. It was really powered to detect a difference in efficacy. And so really what this trial shows is that first-line ustekinumab is just as great as first-line adalimumab. And perhaps numerically, there may be a signal for a better infection safety profile with the anti-interleukin agents. And so for people who do not have a tremendous burden of extra intestinal joint pain or eye inflammation, I think ustekinumab and rizinkizumab are phenomenal first-line agents. I think more and more in Crohn's disease, which does tend to involve the small bowel and can have that sort of very robust stricturing small bowel phenotype, it would be very beneficial to think of anti-interleukins as first-line biologics and think of anti-TNFs as something to go to when they don't need or when they don't respond as well to an anti-interleukin. The reason I say that is because anti-interleukins, we know from the psoriasis experience, is that it doesn't carry a tremendous longitudinal risk of malignancies and lymphomas. These are things that we counsel our patients about with anti-TNF agents, so that makes it kind of nice. It's also not as immunogenic of a drug as anti-TNF agents are, and so the risk of immunogenicity is a little bit lower. The need to start a concomitant immunomodulator to prevent immunogenicity is, is lower, and so it just makes it a less complicated medication to prescribe to our patients, too. So more and more, I'm thinking of anti-interleukin agents, both rizinkizumab and ustekinumab, depending on what the insurance company will allow, as first-line therapy for patients with newly diagnosed Crohn's disease. And there's still a role for the anti-TNF agents, especially in the fistulizing disease, perianal fistulizing Crohn's disease, and in patients with significant arthritis or inflammatory arthritis that's concomitant. So it's not that there isn't a role for anti-TNF agents as a first-line agent, but I think it's beneficial to remember, again, that biologics are first-line treatment for Crohn's disease in 2023, and thinking about the more selective biologic agents like vetalizumab and ustekinumab and rizinkizumab could be beneficial for our patients longitudinally, especially because persistence is an important outcome as well. That's really important information, and I especially like how you brought in the additional safety information we have for these medications when they're used for other disorders, because we really have a robust amount of safety data beyond just the 386 patients here. One other quick question. What about your Crohn's patients who are women in their 20s or 30s and say they're actively planning on trying to have children and want to know which are the best drugs to be on while they're pregnant? Great question. So I, I will tag that along with, you know, the one thing I do emphasize to all of my patients is the safest medication for them is the one that will most effectively treat their disease. So I don't necessarily think of infliximab combination therapy as safer or less safer than used to mab monotherapy, for example. 
if they have that penetrating, fistulizing kind of Crohn's disease that really needs infliximab combination therapy. So the most important thing is getting their disease under control. And that's what I tell my patients who are in preconception counseling stages where we're talking about pregnancy or even actively, you know, first trimester pregnant and thinking about, you know, what's best for them. Every maternal fetal medicine specialist will say healthy mamas, healthy babies. So what that means is really what is safest for the mother in terms of getting her disease under control is safest for the baby. Now, we do know that all the classes of biologics, um, all the biologic medications with the exception of sertolizumab do cross the placenta. We know from the PNO registry, we have more robust data, certainly for the anti-TNF um, medications, but they have a number of patients in the PNO registry who are treated with vetalizumab and the anti-interleukin agents are probably more um, specifically used to kinumab. And there's certainly a little bit of drug that crosses the placenta, but that tends not to be clinically significant for the baby in terms of, you know, one-year risk of infections and, you know, other kind of neonatal outcomes. And so what, you know, we would treat a pre-pregnant woman with biologic agents as we would a any other person, really speaking, you know, kind of consider their disease features, their extraintestinal manifestations, their disease prognosis, how bad, you know, can their disease get in the future? Because we really want to prever prevent that very robust flare in pregnancy. And I think especially for pre-pregnant women, it's most beneficial for both the mother and the baby to avoid steroids to the degree possible. And so the most effective therapy, which, you know, if a woman is actively pregnant and really needs is about to be hospitalized for a flare of disease, it might be best to go with our fastest acting biologic, which is truly infliximab. And so I don't necessarily think that one is safer than the other in pregnancy as biologics go, but really it's a matter of, you know, how quickly do we need to get the disease under control and what's better, better for the mother longitudinally. Well, great. Gosh, that is a lot of really helpful information. I'm sure our listeners appreciated that. And thanks so much for joining us today. And we look forward to the next time we get together for one of our podcasts. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Mm -hmm.